Have you ever found yourself in the middle of a situation and asked yourself, why? Last summer, my son Theo and I went over to Nanaimo, to the beautiful city there, and in preparation, uh, we were getting ready for his university. He went to his first year at VIU. And during our time together, one afternoon, I found myself standing on a bridge, and I was looking down. I was looking over this giant ravine, and at the bottom of this ravine was rushing water. And I paused for a minute, and I heard this shout, Todd, time for your hover drop. Time for my what? Time for your hover drop. And at that moment, as I was looking over into this ravine, I asked myself, or myself asked myself, why? <laughs> Actually, um, I ask a lot of whys. And at that moment, I asked myself, why did I just climb 100 steps to the top of this tiny bridge? Why am I standing on this platform 150 feet above the water? I hate heights. I'm scared of heights. Why do I think this giant elastic band that's tied around my ankles will hold my 180-pound frame? Yes, I said 180 pounds. Why am I curious how fast I can travel before I hit the water? <laughs> why do I even think that 20 feet of water will absorb my fall? And why would I ever think that water would be soft? Why wasn't I born with wings? Why can't I stop my heart from beating so fast in my chest and my palms are so sweaty that my chest feels so tight and heavy right now? Why am I going to record all of this on video? And why in the world would I pay money for this? And yet, in the middle of all this why, I jumped. My first bungee jump. When was the last time that you found yourself in the middle of a situation and asked yourself, why? For our time this morning, the author, the teacher of Ecclesiastes, is going to bring to us, to our attention, some life situations where we probably um, have shouted or asked the question or prayed the question or both at the same time, why? Hopefully, as he brings these why questions to our light, he will also, God will also bring us truths to those situations. Let's read together in Ecclesiastes chapter 8, beginning at verse 16, and it says this, In my search for wisdom and in my observation of people's burdens here on earth, I discovered that there is ceaseless activity day and night. I realize that no one can discover everything God is doing under the sun. Not even the wisest people discover everything, no matter what they claim. Chapter 9. This, too, I carefully explored. Even though the actions of godly and wise people are in God's hands, no one knows whether God will show them favor. The same destiny ultimately awaits everyone, whether righteous or wicked, good or bad, ceremonial clean or unclean, religious or irreligious, 
good people receive the same treatment as sinners and people who make promises to God are treated like those who don't. It seems so wrong that everyone under the sun suffers the same fate. Already twisted by evil, people choose their own mad course, for they have no hope. There is nothing ahead but dead anyway. There is hope only for the living. As they say, it's better to be a live dog than a dead lion. The living at least know they will die, but the dead know nothing. They have no further reward, nor are they remembered. Whatever they did in their lifetime, loving, hating, envying, is all long gone. They no longer play a part in anything on earth. So go ahead, eat your food with joy, and drink your wine with a happy heart, for God approves of this. Wear fine clothes with a splash of cologne. Live happily with the woman you love, though all your meaningless days of life that God has given you under the sun. The wife God gives you is a reward for all your earthly toil. Whatever you do, do well. For whenever you go to the grave, there will be no more work or planning or knowledge or wisdom. So here we go. Question number one, why? Why don't we have answers for everything life throws at us? Verse 16 says this, In my search for wisdom and in my observation of people's burdens here on earth, I discovered that there is this ceaseless activity day and night. I realize that no one can discover everything that God is doing under the sun. Why don't we have answers for everything life throws at us? Truth. We cannot understand everything. Only God can. No one can discover everything God is doing under the sun. It's interesting. The teacher's claim here is quite clear. Life is too complicated. Life is too vast. Life is too filled with conflicting elements for any one of us to figure out all the answers. Even if we stay up day and night trying to think through and understand all the complications and all the complicated events of our lives, we actually never fully understand, nor do we ever solve all of life's mysteries. Does this mean then, or pardon me, this does not mean then that we are not to reason and think about what God is doing and what life gives us. But we must remember always, as the argument makes clear here, that no matter how much we try to think about life, mysteries will still, will always remain. We do not have enough data, nor do we have enough ability to see life in its total answer. We cannot answer fully all these questions. We must actually become content with some degree of mystery. You know what? Even Google, even Facebook Marketplace can't solve all of our life's problems. When we think about our own life, how many of us, how many of the things that have happened to us have been determined by events over which we have had no control? Events which we could have not have anticipated. You can see how true these words are. No one can find out all the answers. Now this has got to be hard on those of us who are intelligent, right? <laughs> those of us who are used to finding the answers. I'm guessing this probably leads most of us to cynicism. So our answer is not having more brains, because that's not what the answer is here. 
This has got to be hard on those who seem to have everything. The writer of Ecclesiastes was a king. He had wealth, it says here in this, in this book. He had the means to more wealth. He had employees. He was served. He had luxuries. Yet none of his wealth stopped him from wrestling with this why question. So our answer is not about having more money. That doesn't give us the answer that we're seeking. This has got to be hard to on those who are going through a crisis. Those of us who are desperate for answers. Those of us who are desperate to bring and, and receive relief. Can't imagine what those who are wrestling right now, watching loved ones uh, pass on. And they're searching for, for answers to, to comfort as many of us have not been able to be with families, be with loved ones, what answer is there? The only answer we get is why. This why question is hard on those who um, need control of their lives. Those of us who live lives controlling our each and every situation. So the answer is not controlling everything. That's not the answer here because uh, we keep having this question of why. This has got to be hard on those of us who do not live life based on faith and trust in God. Why don't we have answers for everything that life throws at us? Because we are only human. God is God, and we are not. Question number two, why? Why, if everything is in God's hands... Does he not always show his followers that he loves him? You'll notice the passage here again in chapter 9, verse 1. This too I carefully explored. Even though the actions of godly and wise people are in God's hands, and catch this, no one knows whether God will show them favor. In other words, whether God will actually show them that he loves them. <laughs> Truth. God is in control. I am not. I must leave control to him. Verse 1. This too I carefully explored, even though the actions of godly and wise people are in the hands of God. No one knows whether God will show them favor. I think wrestling with this question often reveals our view of God and our view of ourselves. The teacher seems to come to this conclusion that even though we may understand that we are in the hands of God, nevertheless, it's difficult to know from the events that are happening to us whether we have his approval or disapproval, whether he loves us or he's disciplining us. This has been stated several times, actually, uh, over the passage, over the book, as we've gone through Ecclesiastes. We saw that prosperity is not a sign that God is particularly happy about you, because even the wicked prosper sometimes. Adversity, on the other hand, is not always a sign that we are being punished by God. So again, we must learn to live with mystery. We are not smart enough. We do not see enough. We do not understand enough. While I was in Nanaimo, uh, I was parked at a McDonald's. 
And I actually was, was working at the time, and so I was on my phone. I, I just wanted uh, the, the Wi-Fi at McDonald's as I was on the phone because I needed to use my computer and, and my phone. And, and as I was sitting there in front of McDonald's, downtown McDonald's in, in uh, Nanaimo, a gentleman walked across in front of me uh, along the sidewalk that was with uh, McDonald's. And as he walked along, he walked over to a garbage can and he nailed it. Like he kicked it hard and it went flying and it was full. So everything went out onto the parking lot. Now, as he did that, he came back my way and, and he was frustrated. He was angry at something and he was yelling out stuff. And then he happened to look at me sitting in my car. <laughs> and I happened to look at him because of what he had just done. And so as I talk, and you've probably noticed already, I'm a hand talker. So I was talking with my hands on the phone to whoever I was talking, and this fellow happened to look at me. He noticed I was on the phone, and he went just white in his appearance, lost all color in his skin. He ran back to the garbage can. He put it upright. He grabbed all the garbage off of the parking lot, pushed it back in the garbage, put the lid back on, came running back to me, and then he said, hey, look, look, did you see what I did? Did you see what I did? And he gave me the thumbs up, and I'm like, what in the world are you doing? And then I realized he thought I was on the call to the police. I had no idea. So I'm like, oh, I, I, what do I do here? So I gave him the thumbs up and off he went. <laughs> Sometimes, are we like the guy that just kicked over the garbage can? <laughs> you know what? We, we're so frustrated and angry at our situation. We act out at our situation but we don't actually realize all that's going on in the world, all that's going on around us. And then when we come to realize that there's other pieces at play, there's other people at play, it kind of straightens up, us up and we go, what? <laughs> and so the teacher here says, remember, there's so much more here that play than what you think there is. So again, we must learn to live with mystery. We must learn and know that we are not smart enough. We do not see enough. We do not understand enough. And, and God's trying to help us to see a bigger picture. Maybe we need to ask ourselves, how is running my own life working out for me? And be honest with that response. Eventually, we must agree with God's words which he says in Isaiah 55, my thoughts, God's thoughts, are not your thoughts. Neither are my ways your ways. But I think that is one of the most difficult lessons we have to learn in life, isn't it? We think that because God tells us certain things about himself, we can figure out what he's going to do. We must resist that. We cannot. We do not. Why? Isaiah 59, or 55 verse 9 continues this. We think that um, for as high as heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. God will never be false to his character. He will never contradict what he said. We are just not smart enough to always figure it out and anticipate it. And that's why we have the why question. Question number three. Why? Why does death happen for everyone? 
truth. Death is the greatest equalizer. Verse 1 to 5, or 2 to 5, says this of chapter 9. The same destiny ultimately awaits everyone, whether righteous or wicked, good or bad, ceremonial, clean or unclean, religious or irreligious. Good people receive the same treatment as sinners, and people who make promises to God are treated like people who don't. It seems so wrong that everyone under the sun suffers the same fate. Already twisted by evil, people choose their own mad course, for they have no hope. There is nothing ahead but death anyways. There is only hope for the living, they say. It is better to be a live dog than a dead lion. The living at least know they will die, but the dead know nothing. They have no further reward, nor are they remembered. Why is death for everyone? Everyone has to deal with it. It's the same destiny for everyone, we are told here. No one can escape it. Now, this may actually seem wrong to us, but it's our reality, so we have to figure it out. Our teacher here seems frustrated because he realizes that the worst thing about living on this earth is death. In fact, all life leads to death. Death is the great proof that there is something wrong about humanity, and it forces us to face reality. As a pastor, I've noticed that some people are very uncomfortable at funerals. They're nervous and edgy. They want to get it over quickly so they can get back to their local pub, so they can get back to their comfortable living room, get back to whatever it is that is normal for them and comfortable for them. And in observing uh, this phenomenon, I've often asked myself, what it is about funerals that makes people so nervous. A funeral is one event, I believe, where one can no longer escape the ultimate reality. A funeral is proof that we are not in control of our own lives. Very few of us would probably choose to die if we had any way of preventing it. Yet, that is going to be the end to all our existence. This is what makes people uncomfortable and anxious, I think, to get back to their comfortable illusions in life. The fact that death comes to both good and bad, at least according to the argument here, forces us to face the evil within us, it says. Notice where this searcher comes out. He says, already twisted by evil, people choose their own mad course, for they have no hope. There is nothing ahead but death anyways. That is the reason for death. According to the scriptures, death comes because of sin. Sin came into this world and death through sin. That's what Romans 5 tells us. Death spread throughout humanity because there is evil in us. Our own personal death is the hard, harsh square peg that refuses to fit into all the round holes that we have for our future. (laughs) At least the plans we have for our future. It is the sand in our oyster that irritates us and makes our spirit protest against it. Why should we all learn all these great lessons of life and then just come, pardon me, and then just when we have learned them, because we have to give them all up, there is no opportunity to exercise them. 
something about that makes us protest. It's not right. It's not fair. If we have been brought up to believe the universal lie of our day, I believe, which is this, that we all deserve to live. That's what we wrestle against. We wrestle against this constant approaching termination of our life, which we believe is not supposed to be there. So in the eyes of God, the God of our universe, we tell him, or pardon me, he says we do not deserve to live. If we are allowed life beyond death, it is a gift of God's grace, not something we have earned ourselves. Something in us actually deserves to die, and that is what universal death declares. And that thing is sin. So how are you at wrestling these why questions? Where are you at? Where's your hope? How do I deal with these whys? Let me suggest four things here that come out of this passage. First is this. Be grateful for the mysteries that God has revealed to us. <laughs> we often get so caught up in what we do not know. I think we, we push aside what we do know. Two. Know that we all struggle with the same issues of unanswered questions of death, of being in need with, for something, for someone outside of ourselves to help us. We all struggle with this. We all need a Savior and a Lord. We all need someone or something to save us. We all need someone or something who has the ability to save us. And God comes along and says, I will give that to you in the name and in the person of God the Son, Jesus Christ. And in Luke chapter 2, which we celebrate often at Christmas, when the angels are singing out, do you remember what they sang? They sang that on this earth, on this day, has been given to us a Savior. In other words, someone who can save us. And a Lord. Someone who has the ability to save us. Choose to live out of this reality. Discover this reality. Be grateful for the mysteries of God. Know that we all struggle, but we have a Savior and a Lord. Three, know that God is sovereign. God is God, and I am not. The universe and everything in it are directed by a living, loving, and perfect God, who in his time, who in his time, takes us through our journeys. On this journey, we must keep handling back this desire for control, uh, to control our lives. And we can do this in part by acknowledging his sovereignty, that he is in control, and we are not. Last thing here, live life to the fullest. I love the rest of verse uh, 5, 6, 7, all the way to 10. This is what it's saying. Live life to the fullest. There is hope only for the living. So, so this, the, the, the teacher says here, go right ahead. Eat your food with joy. Drink your wine with a happy heart. For God loves this. Live happily with the woman you love, with the spouse you have, the wife that God has given you. And whatever you do, do it well. God takes pleasure when you take pleasure in what he has given you. 
That's what he's saying here. Each day is God's gift to you. So why did I bungee jump? What was it that enabled me as I was standing over the edge, looking down, asking all my why questions, what was it that enabled me to step off? What was it that enabled me to trust? What was it that enabled me to walk through this hard why time? I looked over at my son, Theo. Here's what got me. He looked at me and he said, Dad, we can do this. We want to do this. And you know what? He, he was right. <laughs> As I was about to jump off, I looked over again at my son, Theo, and, and I had just watched him hit jump before me. And he did it. <laughs> we need to watch others. We need to hear others walk. Theo also asked me to jump. It was something he'd always wanted to do with me. It was that father-son moment. Theo also loves me. And I, I love him. I, I jump because I love my son. That was all before. Then you have the after you walk through. After I have a bond with my son that I never had before. Not to the level. We did something together. We experienced fear together and walked through it. And now we experience joy together. I also knew it was possible. Until we walk through, we don't fully grasp and understand the greatness of a God who walks through with us. I didn't fully understand what it was like to jump. Neither did Theo. But now we do, and we're probably going to sign up again. <laughs> as crazy as that might sound. It's time for the hover drop. It's time to walk through your whys. It's time to hear God say, you can do this. It's time to watch others, to talk to others, to listen to others who have walked through this. It's time to walk with people through this. It's time to hear God say, I love you. And respond back, I love you, God. It's time to walk through our whys. It's time to keep walking through our whys. It's time to share our walks with others so they can walk. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Lord, don't understand the whys many days. Father, maybe on a good day, I understand the whys, we understand the whys. But on a bad day, it hurts. On a bad day, we get frustrated and angry, mad, emotional. But you know this. And you knew this even as the teacher here in Ecclesiastes shared these with you and with us. Lord, thank you for his example. Thank you for reminding us that if we had everything in the world, we still have answers. 
because we aren't meant to know certain things. All we are meant to know is that we have a God who loves us, who walks in relationship, and that relationship is the most important thing. Not even answers to life questions, but the walk of a relationship of someone who loves us, and that is you in the name of Jesus Christ. Father, thank you. Thank you for stretching our faith. Thank you for being there with us, even when we don't feel you. Thank you for those who have walked along in the journey before us. Thank you for the examples that we get to be for our families, for our children, for our friends, for our neighbors, for our coworkers. Lord, thank you that we're all on the same journey. Thank you that not even something like death will stop this journey because you have given us life after life in the name and in the person of Jesus Christ. And we so thank you. We owe you all. Lord, thank you for being our Savior, the one who can save us, and our Lord, the one who loves to save us and has the ability to save us. In that name, we ask and we thank you and we love you. In your name we pray, amen.